Hello. This is the That's All I Got podcast, episode 9, for June 19th, 2021. My name's Kevin Bay. I am your illustrious host for a week of complaining. It's always a positive on this podcast. Always uplifting. Anyway, we got we made it to episode 9. That means I've been doing this for over 2 months. I didn't even I felt like I just started yesterday. Doesn't it feel like this is getting so much better? Huh? Aren't you loving this more? Probably not. Anyway, anyway. Uh, I still haven't cured myself of the ums, the ahs, the anyways, the ah, uh, the ands, whatever. It is what it is. I'll continue on. I'll try to improve it as I go. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It is what it is. Uh, this po- <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by my own merch store. Go to kevinbay.com slash merch and get things that are only important to me. I, I, I've yet to receive my own uh, proper copies of my shirts, uh, the El- Elston Western Diversity shirt, and uh, my... What was my other stupid shirt? What the hell did I make? Elston Western and Diversity. Oh, the other one is 60647 in... Uh, in text. Both of them refer to where I grew up. So it's absolutely important to nobody but me. I, I do have the uh, 2020 pandemic, 2020 and 2021 uh, pandemic logos that you can use to buy your own masks, although masks are over now, but you can make a shirt out of that if you feel like it. One is uh, 2020 with the twos as rolls of toilet paper and the zeros as the uh, coronavirus, COVID, the dreaded COVID-19. The, oh God, you know, when I breathe in, it, this microphone picks it up and it makes it sound like I smoke 12 packs a day. I don't smoke. Now, my throat is a little dry, but that's because I just finished recording two other podcasts. Saturday's my podcast day right now. So I recorded a podcast called Chasing the Yield, where I go through my uh, personal uh, investment portfolio and my, my investment strategies, not giving anybody advice. I just talk it through every week because I want to better retain what I'm doing for myself. So if anybody gets anything out of that, it's fine. Uh, just don't take that as investment advice in, or investment advice. I think I said advestment. And the other podcast that I just finished recording is Podcast Idiot. It's the first one that I did because I wanted to figure out how to do this. So in Podcast Idiot, I just kind of, I basically talk through my process and what I'm doing, what I've done. I've only done, I've done 10 episodes of that one, um, but I think I might make that one only monthly uh, since, especially since it's been a month since the previous episode, but it just makes more sense where I'll, I'll talk about more about these other two podcasts because these are actual content podcasts. Um, and I'll talk about how how I do it, the thought process, the workflow, um, and answer any questions anybody has about anything that I've set up or, or how, how I'm doing what I'm doing. You can feel free to, uh, if you don't want to buy a t-shirt, which, you know, at least you get something for that, you could... Uh, you know, donate some money if you get anything out of this podcast, if you found it entertaining at all. There's a, you know, donate button on the website. Uh, there's a donate button. It, for On the website, the main page, you have to go to the hamburger menu. I, I need a new WordPress theme to fix that. I haven't found one that I like yet, to, or at least for this, for this website and this podcast. I haven't found one that I like versus the one that I'm using. Uh, but on this particular uh, podcast page, the post you know, the, the, the blog post for this particular show with the show notes, there's a red donate button there that you can use to send me a couple of dollars if you feel like it. Uh, or, uh, you can, 
this is a value for value enabled podcast. Somehow I figured that out and I was able to do it. If you're listening to this on a podcasting 2.0 compatible app uh, that also allows you to send uh, digital money, uh, Satoshis, you can you know do that. I've got a link to Podfriend on 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 my website, so you can listen to this using Podfriend and send me a couple of bucks if you feel like it. Oh, so let's get into the meat, the meat of it. Tomorrow is Father's Day. Does anybody really care? <laughs> Does anybody really care? It's Father's Day, and you know, uh, you know, I, I have I have two kids who would probably cringe if they heard this podcast or anything, any any of the other stuff that I'm doing online. I know they try to shut it out as much as possible. Uh, and we did celebrate Father's Day in our house, you know, but it's never been a big deal to me. And I, I kind of never understood really why. And then I looked it up today, uh, just as a as a on a lark. I'm like, it's gonna be Father's Day tomorrow, and I, I closed that browser tab for some stupid reason. But let's see, Father's Day origin. I looked it up, and using Wikipedia, everybody's uh, favorite source for accurate information, I found out that uh, Father's Day, obviously was created in an attempt to honor fathers like Mother's Day does. And it was created in 1910 by a woman named Sonora Smart Dodd. And she was born in Arkansas, but she was living in Spokane, Washington. And uh, she, I, don't, I can't tell if she worked at the YMCA over there or... Or, oh, she couldn't have lived there because it's the YMCA, not the YWCA. So uh, she created it to honor her father, who was a Civil War veteran and a single parent who raised six children. So after hearing some sermon at a church, she decided that fathers should have a similar holiday. And she originally suggested June 5th. But the Spokane... Spokane Ministerial Alliance did not have enough time to prepare their sermons for that fifth, so the celebration was deferred to the third Sunday of June. So that's how we ended up here. But then, you know, nobody picked up on it. It was only celebrated in Spokane, and nationally nobody really picked up on it, and it didn't have much success. So it kind of lost its uh, promotion. No, nobody really did anything with it from 1920 uh, on. She tried to, to resurrect it in the 1930s, and she enlisted the help of trade groups that would benefit from the holiday. So they, they gave an example in, in Wikipedia of the manufacturer of ties, tobacco pipes, and other traditional presents to fathers. She tried to, so it's, this is really, this is a commercial holiday. And she, yes, she tried to create it to celebrate her father, and but uh, you know, really, this has just been pushed by economic interests and no real, um, you know, uh, homage to fathers. So it just it kind of went on and off, and it it wasn't really much of a thing. Um, there was a proclamation in 1966, so it wasn't nationally declared a thing until 1966 when Lyndon Johnson issued a presidential pro proclamation honoring fathers, designating the third Sunday in June as Father's Day. Six years later, Nixon made it a permanent holiday. So 1972. I was born in 1966. So if it was just made a national holiday and it was uh, proclaimed in 19, and when I was born, the year I was born. That's why it never felt much of a big deal to me. So it was there. Obviously, it was always there since I was born. But I don't recall really celebrating it hardly ever growing up. Now, you know, my parents were divorced from when I was a very young age. I think I was four when they separated. So I was with my father on weekends anyway, so we, we celebrated. But I don't really have any memories of doing much of anything. 
so you know, and even you know when I when I had my kids, yes, we also celebrated Father's Day. But again, to me, it's like um, you know we went out mostly to dinner for my own father, with the family. We didn't do anything specifically for me, which doesn't really bother me because it, in my mind, fathers. You know, I'm not talking about like being old fashioned either, where like, okay, you got to bring me my slippers, bring me my pipe, and uh, let me sit in front of the TV and, I don't know, watch football all day or whatever the hell. Right now it's summertime, so you'd be watching baseball or basketball, the playoffs are on. But I, I think most fathers, I see, I don't know about young, young guys. Young guys are so different from my generation. You know, I'm in my mid-50s, so I, I feel like we're just so different where, you know, I took care, I did all the stuff to take care of my kids, changed diapers, made lunches, cooked meals, you know, um, you know, I took care of them on a regular basis. I did all the, the, the feedings at night when they were infants, but, um, you know, so so in some respects, you know, I'm a modern, modern day father, but at the same time, I'm an old fashioned father. You know, I never tried to be my kid's best friend. I don't. I never thought that that was a good idea. And and these days, I feel like the fathers are trying too much to be buddy buddy. You know, and I, I feel too like I I don't need a Father's Day. I just don't need it. What do I need it for? I already know I'm a father. I already know that, you know, I've, I've done the best job that I could while they were growing up and the chips have to fall where they may, you know, the decisions I made at the time when they were growing up were decisions I made that I felt were the best for them at the time, whether I made a mistake or not, you know, that's all in the past. It, it's happened. It is what it is. So I, I don't need a special day to be honored for any of that. It, after all, you know, they didn't ask to be created. I'm the one that assisted in bringing them into the world. So what in the world does a, a father need any thanks for? What do we need a day that honors us for? What's the purpose of it? You know, it, to me, it just seems like such an exercise in narcissism that, you know, you have to glorify me. Glorify me for bringing you into the world. It's just such bullshit to me that, you know, it's fine. Uh, you know, my kids send me a card or whatever, you know, and, you know, maybe once in a while you get a little gift. But I think, I think in my mind, a father would not care about this day. It's utterly meaningless because you have to be a father every day. You know, women are different, mothers are different, although my wife is different, she, I don't, she doesn't really give a rat's ass about Mother's Day either, you know, because to her, every day is Mother's Day, but uh, she's an anomaly amongst women. Anyway, uh, on to the rest of the story. That was 15 minutes about Father's Day. That's how much it bugs me. Uh, I, I talked about it, uh, was it last week, two weeks ago? Um, Dr. Brett Weinstein and Dr. Pierre Corey, they had a, uh, they, they, on the Dark Horse podcast, they had like two and a half hours of talking about ivermectin, what's happening with it, why the government's ignoring it, and what their general feelings are as to how effective it is, and why there's such a big campaign against it, which they, they do think it's effective, by the way. I don't know if I included that. So they, they had a two and a half hour thing and it's a it's a podcast, so you can get it you can get it from uh search for Dark Horse Podcast, you can pull it up. I've got a link in the show notes to this, I believe. Or it's it's on the it's on the uh blog post page for um this particular topic. YouTube takes down video discussing Ivermectin by Dr. Pierre Corey and Dr. Brett Weinstein. So YouTube takes down the video. And they sent him a strike on it. And so he asked for clarification. And YouTube actually responded that um, two qualified doctors, researchers, not quacks, 
one that actively sees patients and is currently administering the drug ivermectin to his patients, and not only to his patients, but also himself. He takes it as a prophylactic. Prophylactic. Prophylactic? Yeah. However, I'm mispronouncing that. But he takes it as a preventive measure to prevent himself from uh, having a severe case of COVID-19 should he contract the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So not only is he qualified, he's seeing patients and administering, and he's also taking it himself. So YouTube decides you're providing misinformation to the public, and they took his video down. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the power uh, that everybody has given Google, companies like YouTube, Facebook, and Apple, Spotify, whatever. The ability to silence a different point of view, a different opinion by qualified people. You know, it'd be different if I was telling people, I have no qual. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a researcher. So it'd be different if I'm telling people online to take ivermectin, that this is going to cure you, blah, 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 blah. Okay. You know, unless I'm quoting somebody else who's qualified, you know, maybe they have the right to say I'm providing misinformation because I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking out of my ass. But these guys at least have credentials. And they've taken them down. And just to me, it's, it's just... Uh, unconscionable. And I guess now, you know, we, we get an idea why is because of the money that's behind it. Because Dr. Pierre Corey also um, posted a video where he was talking about ivermectin and the United States uh, making a deal with Merck, the pharmaceutical company Merck, about an unproven drug that I guess is trying to mimic or replicate uh, ivermectin, but just in a different way. Let me get to this here. And that statement is... Let me run, run that back. Here we go. As one of the world experts in the use of ivermectin for COVID-19, I feel compelled today to make a statement. And that statement is in response to the recent announcement by the U.S. government that they're entering into a contractual agreement with Merck where they're going to commit $1.2 billion of taxpayer money in order to enrich Merck for a drug which has already been the source of a whistleblower complaint and which has already failed in hospitalized patients. They are now testing it in outpatients when we already have a drug which is low cost, safe, widely available, which has been proven to work in many phases of the disease, not only as outpatients, but inpatients. So this is just to do with Mark. This isn't even the vaccines, where the vaccines uh, are still being rolled out. I know there's been applications to get them approved by the FDA, not just emergency use. I think it was Pfizer and Moderna. I can't remember. Yeah, but I think both Pfizer and Moderna now have applied for uh, approval versus emergency use. And as they stated on the Dark Horse pod- podcast, that if there are viable treatments for COVID-19, that vaccines cannot be approved. Because what do you need a vaccine for if you have a viable treatment? And uh, Dr. Pierre Corey and the FLCCC Alliance, the Frontline COVID Care Doctors, I, I forget what their acronym stands for, but you can go look that up. Um, you know, they're heavily pushing ivermectin as a treatment. And if they're successful, you know, pharmaceutical companies are going to lose a lot of money in the future because they're looking to push these vaccines annually, an annual booster, just like the flu shot. And so this is made worse by uh, now the U.S. government pushing out billions of dollars to another pharmaceutical company to come up with a drug that's untested, that's trying to mimic what ivermectin does. At least that's according to uh, what Dr. Dr. Corey is saying. And you can go look this up for yourself at the, the FLCCC Alliance. They have a lot of information. They even have their protocols for ivermectin. 
Uh, but this also brings me to what happened today, or at least what I discovered today, is that Nurije Fipe, I hope, I, I doubt I'm pronouncing her name correctly, and, and I doubt that I've done it in the past correctly, but her daughter uh, posted on Twitter on the 14th. So I just found out about it today. I've been checking from time to time, but I must have forgotten earlier in the week. But she posted on the 14th that her mother is doing better, continues to improve. And her story is the one where they had to go to court to force Elmhurst Hospital in Illinois to administer ivermectin. Or not, they didn't administer it. They allowed, they agreed to allow an outside doctor to come in to administer ivermectin. At the time, she was on a ventilator for over a month. And it seems to me, given what I know now about following these other doctors, that if the hospital was not forced into doing that, she probably would have already passed away. Now, she may still pass away because she's, you know, she was pretty seriously ill. She was in a, a coma at the time, from what I understand. Uh, but after forcing them to do that and... and and using ivermectin, she's steadily or slowly improving, a little bit at a time. So it's it's good for her. And hope and, you know, the disgusting part of all of that is that the media dropped it like a hot potato. They covered it when the court case was there because it was kind of sensational that somebody's pushing, uh, you know, uh, had a lawsuit pushing a hospital to administer ivermectin when the, all the experts in the world, except for the frontline care doctors, COVID care doctors, uh you know, they're pushing ivermectin. So um, they, they just dropped it like a hot potato. Once once the, once they succeeded in, in getting the hospital to, to change their ways, they didn't bother to check up. Like, it, did, did she recover? Is she doing better? You know, and, and I tweeted back to uh, the, one of the reporters for the uh, Chicago Tribune, showing him that, oh, she is indeed doing better, and all I had to do was tweet the daughter. So there's some improvement there. The media, again, is not doing its job because they're ignoring the story because it was a positive story, I believe, for uh, the use of ivermectin. Sticking with COVID, uh, there was a study, recent study uh, from Germany that showed that PCR tests uh, of people with, uh, let's see, 70, 50 to 75% of people with positive tests are, in fact, not infectious. So once you learn about the PCR test and the results it produces, depending on the cycle threshold used, you can never look at positive test numbers again without knowing what the threshold number is, which is never reported. When you look at positive test stories, you know, cases are rising, but you know, due to the PCR test that they're calling the gold standard, they never tell you what the cycle threshold is. And Dr. Fauci himself, fucking Fauci, admitted early on on a podcast that any cycle threshold over 30 is worthless for determining if somebody is infectious. And I've read other stories where they say it shouldn't be run over 25 cycles to ensure that, you know, that there's enough viable virus there to actually infect somebody, but let's go with fucking Fauci. It shouldn't be over 30. They never tell you what the cycle thresholds are here in the United States. You can look it up, and I, and I remember reading from the FDA guidelines that they were using cycle thresholds of over 40, which means that they run this test over 40 times. And each time you run the test, the PCR test, each time you cycle through the sample, it amplifies whatever is there. And even the creator who, of the PCR test, who's now dead, said that this is not the test that you want to use for what we're using it for. Because you can find anything you want. He said you can find latent viruses or latent pieces of things that are not able to do anything to anybody, but they're just there in your system. And... They're, they're harmless. So now this study out of Germany found that 50 to 75% of the people in their study test, that tested positive were unlikely to be infectious. And this is basically their summary. They say 
This is from the Journal of Infection, and I've got a link on the website that says, in light of our findings that more than half of individuals with positive PCR test results are unlikely to have been infectious. Uh, RT-PCR test positivity should not be taken as an accurate measure of infectious SARS-CoV-2 incidents. Our results confirm the findings of others that routine that the routine use of positive PCR tests results as the gold standard for assessing and controlling infectiousness fails to reflect the fact that 50 to 75% of the time an individual is PCR positive, they are likely to be post-infectious. And this is the bullshit test, the gold, quote-unquote gold standard that they've been using to shut economies down. You know, I say it over and over again. You look at Canada, you look at Australia, you look at the UK. Former countries that you would believe would fight for freedom are still using draconian measures over test results that are bullshit. This should piss the shit out of and piss people off like crazy. Moving away from COVID, President Biden had his meeting with uh, Putin. And prior to that meeting, uh, a question was asked from a reporter. Right? This is off a of C SPAN. And remember how tough President Biden was before when he's debating with Trump, and or maybe it was after that. I don't remember, but he basically called. Uh, Putin a killer? You're a killer. What do you say to Vladimir Putin? <laughs> to answer the first question, <laughs> I'm laughing too. They actually, I... Well, look, I mean, he has made clear that... Uh, uh, now he goes into brain freeze, and that's it. I thought they stopped the tape, but he's just staring. The answer is, I believe he is in the past essentially acknowledge that he was uh there are certain things that he would do or did do so now but mr look, tough is walking back. um when i was asked that question on air i answered it honestly yeah but it's not much of a i i i, I don't think it matters a whole lot in terms of this next meeting we're about to have the second question was really anyway it was it was a sad state of affairs. You know, the the rest of the world's got to be laughing at us. And John Cass and of the Chicago Tribune's got it right. They got to keep Biden alive because Kamala Harris is just awful, an empty suit, who's got nothing inside. You got to remember that she didn't even make it to the first primary election for the Democrats. She was so poorly received that she couldn't even make it to the first vote. She didn't have any support. So now we're stuck keeping this corpse alive in order to prevent her from becoming the first female president. Let's just hope Joe makes it all the way through. Although, I, you know, this, the stuff that they're passing is, is just such a waste of everybody's time. Oh, I thought I was done with COVID, but I'm not, because Jon Stewart was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. I, I really can't stand Colbert. I've never liked his brand of comedy, whatever the hell it is that he's doing. But Stewart, even though I politically I'm opposite what Stewart is, I've always found him hilarious. He's got a great delivery, he knows how to do comedy. And he was on Colbert discussing... COVID-19, and whether or not it was a lab creation. Let me forward through that for a second. Here's the thing. This is what I know about you. This is what I know about you. We are, we are truly dear friends, and yet this is the first time I've seen you in the flesh in 15 months. That is, that is, that is correct. Right. And I am so really happy. <laughs> and I know we're all vaccinated, and I'm not going to get COVID, but I... I'm gonna get something. Uh, I'm, uh, 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 uh. Unused little bedroom with cables through the window. And no, now they're right. Colbert's talking about how tough it was. And I mean, like, for him to do his job from his house. 
combating pandemics because in 1918 hold on tincture of and they talk about how how far medicine has come how do you feel about the science now here we go this is where he gets in it it's funny I, I, and I honestly mean this. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has, in many ways, helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. And you get the nervous laughter from the audience. They didn't know what to make of it. And they didn't know it was supposed to be funny until Colbert kind of leaned back and put his finger on his no, mouth. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I'll, it's I'll, coffee. I wouldn't I'm, do that to you. I wouldn't do that to you. I'm so what, what do you, takes, well, what, do you what, 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 what do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so Mr. Fraps, was, there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab, there's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. I don't know. There's a novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they ask those scientists, they're like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. And you're like... So anyway, it's, it goes on for several more minutes, but it was funny. And it was the first funny thing I've heard uh, on COVID, you know, uh, whether it was, you know, contrived or not between uh, him and Colbert about whether or not it's lab created. It doesn't matter. The, the point is that it was comedy and comedy done right in the age of COVID where nothing's been funny. Very little has been funny. Oh, let's see. What was I listening to? I had this post about warm, I had warm and fuzzy thoughts for the day. And really, it stemmed from something I read somewhere. Uh, where I said, uh, you know, the direction of the country and, and things that are happening, I somebody was blaming Trump somewhere online and I had a response where I said Trump was the festering infection that resulted from the virus of progressivism and Biden is like gangrene setting in and we need to chop off a limb or two in order to stop the infection from killing us. And it just got me to thinking more. So I, I just had a, a long blog post that had nothing to do with a particular news story. But I, I just, I needed to point out that if, if, you know, right now we're at a point where people think Trump is to blame for everything that has happened in the country, and maybe even before, but since at least 2016. And it's my opinion that if you honestly think that Trump was the problem, that you're stupid, number one, or you're ignorant, which is not the same as stupid, but almost as bad, that you're blind, you can't see what's going on in front of you, that you're in denial or you're a raging progressive, you know, more hardcore than, than your normal progressive. You're more like AOC progressive. You're progressive, so that covers it all, or have a severe case of Trump derangement syndrome. But, you know, I think that we've been headed down this path for decades. And, you know, I was born in 1966. It's before the creation of the Department of Education. That was created in the 70s by Jimmy Carter. And to me, when the Department of Education was created, that put federal money into local public schools. And from that point forward, you can pretty much count down and look at the deterioration of the public school system. You can even look at the rise in the case, uh, the rise in childhood obesity from that point forward, because you got to remember the the Department of Education, the Department of Agriculture started getting into school lunches. Kids didn't used to be served lunch in school; they used to bring lunch from home. 
you know, rich, poor, whatever. People brought lunch from home. So you enter um, federal dollars. And the government then starts telling states what to do with their public education in order to keep that money flowing. So Generation X, of which I'm a part of, I, I believe we are the last generation to be educated largely without influence by the Department of Education. It was there, but it was, you know, it was just beginning when I started school. When I was in kindergarten, first grade, the Department of Education was just created. So they were just starting to get their claws in. So I don't think it really metastasized until I was probably in high school or just out of high school. So, you know, I, I think my generation is probably the last generation to not be propagandized by the federal government and the teachers' unions. All that stuff was tied together. My children, who are part of the millennial generation, they're, the, they're older millennials. They're not younger millennials. They're older millennials. Uh, my oldest is reaching her mid-30s. My youngest is in his early 30s. But I remember when they went to school, I, I could see this stuff creeping in, and I was like, what the hell is this? You know, it started when my kid was, my, my daughter was in grammar school when she was in kindergarten, first and second grade. In the school, they give you a list of supplies. Bring these things in the class. Paper towels, pencils, pens, paper, whatever. But what were they doing with that? It wasn't it wasn't supplies that my daughter gets to keep and use for herself. No. These supplies were to be distributed and shared across the entire classroom. So I never, you know, when we figured that out, I never sent my daughter to school with like great pencils. She got, you know, bargain basement pencils because what am I going to spend a lot of money on pencils for for other kids to use the pencils? I didn't send her to school with great paper towels. I bought the cheapest, shittiest paper towels we could find. Because why would I give them paper towels for other kids to use? Why would I spend my money for that? Same thing with any of the other supplies, you know, other than crayons, because who's going to buy something other than Crayola? At least if you can afford to buy something, uh, to, to buy Crayola, you're going to buy Crayola crayons. But all the rest of the supplies... You know, we bought the cheapest stuff we could find because they were, you know, in essence, socializing the private supplies I was sending to school with my daughter. So I wasn't happy with that. And then later on, you know, as, as they're trying to teach kids to read and spell and write, you know, she was coming home with homework where some of her work was misspelled. And I was like, what is this? So I, I, you know, I would correct her spelling and I would show her, okay, this is wrong and this should have been marked wrong and all this kind of stuff. So on a parent-teacher's conference, I, you know, I went to school and I asked the teachers, like, what are you doing? She's coming home with work that is marked correct, but the spelling is wrong. So I correct it. And the teacher actually told me that they didn't want to cause sadness. I, you know, and she, I guess that, you know, if the teacher was looking at my face, she must have seen the confusion. Like, what are you talking about sadness? You're correcting a mistake. You're supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to be correcting spelling. But they were starting this, uh, I think it was called a whole language approach to, to reading and writing, which meant that the kid could do what they called creative spelling. They could spell the word however they wanted to spell it, and however it was, it was. There was no correction being done because they didn't want to lower the self-esteem of the kid in order to teach them how to spell. And I, you know, I looked at her teacher and I said, you know I'm correcting her spelling at home. And I'm telling her that it's wrong and that she should have been marked wrong. She should have received a lower grade than what she got because it wasn't correct. 
and the teacher just didn't seem to care. It's like, yeah, you can correct it at home with all you want, but we just don't do that here because uh, we have a different method of teaching. And that, that really was the part that opened my eyes the widest. It wasn't the part with sharing the stupid supplies. It was that. It was like, what, what kind of teacher, you know, what kind of system teaches kids by letting them make the mistakes? It just didn't make any sense. How stupid is that? So, and it got worse. You know, okay, fine. I can deal with a little bit of misspelling. I, you know, I can, I can do supplemental teaching at home. You know, I shouldn't have to, but I do it anyway. You know, my children make sure that they know what they're doing, reading and writing and learning how to spell. When my son entered kindergarten, you know, he already learned how to read. He was able to read, you know, rudimentary words and, and sentences, things that were simple. But he could read, you know, whatever he was, he was beyond the kindergarten reading uh, level. So he's in, he's in kindergarten and on a teacher's conference, you know, I will back that up a little bit. You know, my son is very sharp and especially back then, you know, was very sharp for his age and I already knew he could read and he was telling me that you know, when he was coming home, he, he would tell me that he was reading to the first graders. So like, oh, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah, this, this guy, uh, this kid, you know, was trying to read to me and he couldn't figure it out. So, you know, I helped him read the words. Now, again, he's telling me this in a five or six year old person's way of telling it. It wasn't as, as clear as I just put it out there, but he was still letting me know that he was reading to the first graders when they would come in to read to the kindergartners. So again, on a parent-teacher's conference, I, I asked the teacher about this. And she said that, oh, yeah, you know, he would read to, to the first graders that, that could not read or couldn't read the books that they were reading. You know, and, and I, I knew my son was a little bit bored with kindergarten. He just didn't care for it. There wasn't much for him to do. So I, I was asking the teachers, like, well, he needs, he needs a little bit more stimulation because he's, he's kind of bored. He's reading beyond, you know, the, the, the books that you guys have. He's reading to your first graders, which are supposed to be reading to the kindergartners. So, you know, maybe he needs to be in first grade, not kindergarten, if he's, if he's beyond what your first graders are. But they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't move him forward. They, you know, nobody wants to advance children much anymore because they're worried about their social development. You know, he's five and six years old. He, he can hold his own with, you know, a six and seven-year-old that might be in first grade or even a seven or eight-year-old. Big whoopee-doo. There's not that much difference in age. But they didn't do anything. They gave him some busy work. You know, they let him, they gave him some computer time, which at the time, you know, computers were really worth shit for education. It's really just pressing some letters on the keyboard and watching some animation go by. So that was the the one that really woke me up to it. And I was like, okay, this is only going to get worse. So I had to find another option. And that's when I, I took my kids to private school. And it was much better. But what has gotten worse in the public school system, you know, I thank goodness I sent my kids to private school. And that they were, they graduated, they finished high school prior to all the crap that's happening today. Because instead of being concerned about making kids, uh, making sure that the kids can finish high school with the ability to read and write and do some math, instead, public schools are worried more about indoctrination. Pushing political agendas like climate change and critical race theory before and and the reason you know this is this is indoctrination is that they're pushing this stuff before the kids know how to think. They're telling them what to think before they know how to think, and that's the reason they want to put this stuff in their brains. So before they're able to actually think about something and and put it together, like does this make sense? They push this bullshit on them, and part of it is you know they're they're taught. A false history of the United States. You know, look at look at what's happened to Columbus. 
Christopher Columbus. Now, he's got nothing to do with the United States, but uh, just the fact that Columbus Day has just been vilified to honor an Italian explorer. Was the guy perfect? No. Did he cause a lot of problems? Sure. But what they're celebrating is not any of the mistakes. You don't celebrate mistakes. That's stupid. You're celebrating the accomplishments. And regardless of what you think of the man and maybe what he's done, it was quite the accomplishment to do what he did, to be an explorer, to take a boat across the ocean, to come to another continent. Whether he thought, whether he was in the right place or not, none of that stuff makes a difference. None of it. Or let's take the Founding Fathers, for instance. You know, they're all human beings. They all have flaws. But those flaws and, and the problems that they had do not negate the accomplishments. It wasn't perfect. But the things that they did led to where we are today. The things that they did provided the foundation to let these other idiots demonize the founders. That's fine. Now you can talk shit about the founding fathers and how this, you know, how this country was founded. But what you can't change are the accomplishments. And this is what they're trying to do and that's why they're pushing it into the public schools because uh to teach like the 1619 project as if the country was founded prior to the revolution. As if we didn't go to war with the British to claim our own independence. Now, nothing is smooth, nothing is perfect, nobody is perfect. The founding fathers weren't perfect. But they weren't all about just, oh, we're just going to rape, pillage, and commit genocide against the Indians. You know, we're just going to uh, hold slaves forever. You know, there, there's, there was a, a healthy contingent of founding fathers that abhorred slavery. They didn't like the practice of it, but there wasn't much they could do because it was not the consensus of the time. But they fought against it. Many of them fought against it. There was... Tons of people that were abolitionists, and they weren't black. They were white. There's more to the history of the country and the founding. And there's more to celebrate in the accomplishments than in the mistakes. Because the accomplishments are what got us here. It, what, it's what gives me the freedom to say what I'm saying right now. To give my own opinion to cover the news of the day as I see it. But this is also why the federal government needs to get the hell out of public schooling, because they should not be able to push political agendas in elementary school. If you want to teach the, the 1619 Project, that belongs in university. Critical race theory, it belongs in university. Or at the university level. Because once you're able to think and do a little bit of math and read and, and write and, you know, think critically, then you're, be, you're better able to discuss the issues. But to push them into elementary school, and I don't even know what age they're talking about teaching this stuff, but there's no way on earth a kid the age of 11, 12, even 15, 16 years old can really prop properly put things in context and have the maturity to be able to discuss those types of topics of imperfect humans. I don't know if there's a way to fix it. I just know that it shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. Um, this type of discussion shouldn't be happening. We should... Get rid of what we should abolish is the Department of Education. We should abolish all public employee unions because they are uh, organizing against the people. And go back to elementary education as elementary education, teaching the basics of reading, writing, 
doing math, basic science, but science, not climate change science, basic science. Climate change is too complex a subject for elementary and high school. You can discuss weather, you can discuss the climate, but discussing human-caused climate change does not belong anywhere above or anywhere below the university level. You know, and COVID-19 revealed much about our country and the world. And you can see as long as government is shelling out bread and circuses, food and money, and keeping the population placated, that we will not fight. We won't even resist their authoritarianism. Authoritarianism. We're too comfortable. When you're comfortable, you've got no reason to fight. But with all the money being pushed down our throats, with all the money being printed, it doesn't seem to me like this is going to end well. I, I hope I'm wrong. Because I don't want bad things to happen. I would like to see things continue on an upward trend, but you know, history tells you that it, it doesn't continue to go up forever. Hopefully this is not where things are going to end up. Um, let's see here. Juneteenth. This is recent. Biden signed into law the new federal holiday called Juneteenth. It's the wrong day. First of all, Juneteenth is a horrible word. It just makes no sense. It's not a number. It's not a month. Let's just throw them together. Juneteenth. It's supposed to be June 19th. But here are my four reasons. It's a, it, this was a local event in Galveston, Galveston, Texas. It was basically a media event. They're celebrating the, in, the people of Texas, the, final, the last people in Texas being informed that the war was over and that slavery was abolished. But here's the key. After June 19th, 1865, Kentucky and Delaware still legally held slaves in the United States. So slavery was not totally abolished and totally ended at that time. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution was proposed, but it wasn't ratified yet. It was ratified on December 6th, 1865, and it was made part of the Constitution on December 18th, 1865. So if you want to celebrate a date for the end of slavery, those are two good dates. Not the date that people were, were informed that the Civil War was over, especially when two other states did not end uh, slavery in their states until the 13th Amendment took effect. So this is a problem we have in this country of always coming up with the wrong date, celebrating bullshit. So, you know, we should be celebrating the end of slavery. And even the 13th Amendment didn't totally end slavery because it still allowed for slavery for people who were imprisoned. But for, for people outside of prison, it, ends, it ended slavery, and it happened at that time. And if, so if we're going to celebrate this, we should pick the real date, not a made-up date that makes people feel good about something. And I don't even know what that is, because it's not correct. Changing the Constitution is not easy. It's a very, it was a very difficult thing to do. It, you know, that's why you don't see amendments today. It's, it's so difficult to do. They don't even bother going down through the process. You know, instead, they try to get the Supreme Court to make a decision. You know, God forbid Congress pass a law. God forbid they introduce, you know, another amendment for something. Moving on to, wow, did you hear that? It was almost like I was doing uh, harmony with myself. My throat's got to be cleared. There. I just I turned off the mic and cleared, cleared my throat. Well, sort of. Companies don't want to hire uh, people from Colorado for remote work. Why? Because... 
Colorado passed a law that requires companies, even with a few employees in the state, to disclose the expected salary or pay range for each role, open role they advertise, including remote positions. The rule's aim is to narrow uh, gender wage gaps and provide greater... uh, (laughs) Okay, let's try this again. The rule's aim is to narrow gender wage gaps and provide greater pay transparency for employees. To avoid having to disclose that information, though, some employers seeking remote workers nationwide are saying that those living in Colorado need not apply. This is out of the Wall Street Journal. Oh, and I forgot to provide the hyperlink. Ay, ay, ay. So if you live in Colorado you in in your you are applying for remote work you will if you're a male or female you will get equal pay because you're just not going to get hired now <laughs> so zero is equal to zero now i already covered critical race theory and how i don't believe it's something to be taught in school but there was i wish people when they tweet stuff would put the source I don't have the source. I was, you know, going through Twitter and I saw somebody post this video of a, of a black man at a school board meeting somewhere in Illinois, according to the tweet, but he doesn't say where. It would be nice to know. And he's going through what he thinks about critical race theory. When you talk about critical race theory, which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other, that's pretty much that's pretty much all I can say. It's pretty much what it's going to all come down to. You're going to deliberately teach kids this white kid right here got it better than you because he white. You're going to personally tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down and suppressed. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here oppressed? How do I get first of all, because only got five minutes now, five minutes. Two medical degrees. No mom, no dad in the house. Work my way through college. Sat there and hustled my butt off to get through college. You going to tell me somebody that looked like all y'all white folks kept me from doing that? Are you serious? Not one white person ever came to me and said, well, son, you're never going to be able to get nowhere because you know the black people. But guess what? What's sickening about this whole thing is what y'all doing right now is already something I do in my community right now to speak out against stuff because black folks are getting told by other black folks, oh, you know you ain't going to be able to do nothing out there in the world because them white folks ain't going to let you get no. Oh, you know you're not going to be able to do it here because you know, the, white, the, the white man, the white man going to keep you down. Well, how did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? How am I now directing over folks that look just like you guys in this room right now? How? What, what, what kept me down? What oppressed me? I work for myself from off the streets to where I am right now. You going to sit here and tell me this lie of critical race theory? That's an angry man, and rightfully so. And he's, you know, everything he says there is absolutely true. What are people doing pushing this shit on people, on, on kids? Kids don't have the ability to, to know one thing or, or another. They don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. And they submit to authority. So if their teachers, their parents, their administrators tell them that, well, you know, white people are inherently racist. It's just in the blood. It's in the system. It's there. It's there to hold black people down. It's there to hold other people of color down. They're going to they're gonna grow up thinking that that's true. So they will institutionalize race and racism. They will make racism systemic, but it's going to be systemic against white people. And racism, period, whether it's against white people, black people, Asian people, or half-breeds like me, it's wrong. And that crap needs to end. We need to, we need to get that bullshit out of schools and out of the general discussion. If you want to discuss critical race theory as a theory, it belongs at university. Uh, but let's see. I, I I was I was definitely lazy this week when it came to blogging. I, I still did post a bunch of stories, but in general, I was kind of disconnected. I was burned out by the news, burned out by COVID, burned out by Biden uh, seeing Putin, burned out by Kamala Harris being stupid. And, you know, I, last couple of weeks I went on hikes. So I'm new to Georgia. And, you know, I, I'm from the Chicago area where there aren't a whole lot of places to hike. If you're hiking, you're just really walking down some trails. It's more like strolls rather than real hikes. So last week I went on a hike 
at uh, Fort Yargo Park. And it was okay. It was a nice park, but it was still, it was a little bit too civilized. There were too many people around. And so this week I've, I found another one. It's called um, Don Carter State Park. And I don't recommend anybody go there because I liked it way too much. So stay away because when I, I went there early Thursday morning and I went with my dog Godfrey, the one that you heard bark earlier. Did you hear him bark? Or was that on the other podcast? I can't remember now because this is the third podcast I've just done in a row for different things. He barked during one of them. But anyway, he's a Labrador retriever. And so I went on this hike and it was really nice. I only saw one other person on the trail and it was secluded. There was some good elevations um, for walking around. You know, it was an actual hike through the woods where you had to, um, you know, it made me tired. I had to walk, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's it's right off of Lake Lanier. So you're kind of walking around little creeks and stuff that feed the lake. So you're going up, you're going down. And so it's it was a very, it was definitely a moderate hike. It was not just a stroll through the park, which was nice. And it was quiet. So it was just me in the woods and my dog where I, you know, I found a little um, sort of like a beach area just off the trail uh, in the lake so my dog could actually go in the water and take a swim, which he hasn't done in in, a, in over a year since we moved. He used to go swimming at, uh, there was a park district dog park near my house that had a, a big pond, so I would throw a giant ball in there and he would swim a lot. So this is the first time he's been swimming in, in a year. And, and it was nice, so you can, it was... Uh, very cathartic, you know, and uh, I, a lot of people when they hike, they like to go hike to a destination and take, you know, those Instagram photos of this site or that site or, you know, this little tourist thing or that tourist thing. Not me. I, I, I like to hike like I drive. I prefer the actual act of hiking. So the walking part of it and keeping pace and just listening to the sounds. I don't, I don't have any headphones in. I'm not listening to music or podcasts or anything. I'm literally just walking with my dog through the woods, hiking up and down, climbing over logs, you know, fallen trees over the trail, and just hearing the sounds around me and just tuning out. It was a, it was very cathartic. Uh, it was very helpful for uh, just tuning out all the news because I I've really been burned out the last week with the news so much so that in the mornings. Uh, I'd been reading a book versus reading the paper, at least for half an hour. You know, I'll still kind of thumb through the newspaper to to get what's happening around me. But the first half hour, I'm reading a book. Which is, so, you know, it was just a good way to just kind of decompress because the news has really been pissing me off lately. I'm hoping the current week will be better. Um... I might go to a peach farm, check out some peaches, you know, get some fresh peaches. I've been in in Chicago, you can't get a good peach. No matter almost no matter where you buy it from. I've, you know, I've been on the search for it. So here, at least during peach season, we go to this little uh produce stand that's about a maybe a couple miles from my house. And it's literally just a tiny mom and pop uh produce stand and they have fresh vegetables and they have fresh peaches there i've been buying four every week just to eat them and I, I haven't had a bad one yet they've all been they taste like peaches so you know the ones that i would get in chicago were always either underripe or just if they were ripe they were just flavorless they didn't have anything so there there's some uh peach farms not that far from where we live now uh and you know i might just take a drive over there this week and see how those go get some fresh that at least fresher off the tree than what I'm buying from the produce stand, even though those are fantastic anyway. It would just be nice. Just be nice to see. So that's my complaint. Those are my complaints for the week. Have a, a, a good Father's Day if you're celebrating Father's Day. Uh, as a reminder... This is a uh, Podcasting 2.0 compatible podcast. That means if you're listening to it on a Podcasting 2.0 compatible app, you'll have access to transcripts, chapters, chapter images, 
if I if I get to posting the chapters, I know I haven't done it the last several. Uh, the transcripts are there because those are dirt, uh, dirt simple, dirt stupid. <laughs> simple. They're simple to do. They're easy. It's quick. And the transcript is always available, you know, within, uh, before the end of the day, after I, after I post this up. The transcripts I'm working on, uh, not tra- tra- chapters I'm working on a, a better workflow in order to get those done. And hopefully I'll have that uh, worked out, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Because, uh, you know, I try to do this so it's as little work as possible because I'm producing it and recording it and compiling it, you know, just by myself sitting in, in my office just for fun. But I'd like to have it as good as I could possibly make it. So I will be doing that. And you can um, see the transcripts and chapters and stuff using a podcasting 2.0 compatible app and you can find those at newpodcastapps.com support the independent app creators over apple spotify and google you can also go to podcastindex.org and support them huh i said google and one of my phones woke up or and you can also uh donate to the podcast send me uh you know couple of dollars buy me a cup of coffee that'd be fine buy one of my shirts at kevinbay.com slash merch you know or listen to me using podfriend and throw some satoshis at me and maybe one day i'll figure out how to unlock those from sphinx uh sphinx.chat and uh move those sats around it's not like you can spend the pennies that are there but it would be nice to see that that work out Anyway, that's all I got, which is the name of the podcast, which I might be changing, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that here. Uh, I liked the way that I made the logo, and I kind of like to have the tagline of that's all I got, but as a title for a podcast, it kind of sucks. So I may be changing it. I might not. Who knows? The RSS feed stays the same anyway, because it's based off my website, kevinbay.com. So have a happy Father's Day. Have a great rest of your weekend, and i talk to you next week. You know, false starts. <laughs> and I, I record this live, basically live to, to, to an SD card. I'd like to say live to tape, but nobody tapes. It's live to SD card. And I, I hit the button, and I couldn't remember what my own theme music was. And I think I, I thought I hit the wrong button, but I hit the right button. So... I'll close it out now. Here we go. (laughs) Have a happy weekend. Bye-bye. You know, the title of the the music, of the theme music, is right there on my pod track. I can see it right there when I hit the button. But brain freeze. Told you I was burned out. I hope you enjoyed it dollars please send me a couple dollars goodbye everyone